0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg.
1: We start this program, though, by getting Jordan Rochester on the phone, Namora G10, FX strategist. Namora, and Jordan, walk me through the house view right now. For how these kind of shocks are going to roll through asset classes, roll through markets in the coming weeks.
2: Hi, John. It's it's not going to be fun, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there is a lot going on in terms of equity markets. It's huge moves, and that's feeding through to foreign exchange markets in weird, wonderful, and slightly uh, confusing ways. So, where do I start? First of all equities were in a world of their own. For the past couple of weeks, we have been watching the situation in China, the rally in fixed income, the sell-off in commodities, but the equity market was making fresh highs. So we're seeing that correction coming back down to where it should be. And I've got these charts on my screen, which show me how US equities trade versus growth expectations and the same for Europe. And we've seen sell-offs in both markets, of course. So they're coming back down towards earth. The US markets have corrected more than the European ones. And I think there is actually still more room to go because what we're not used to is a supply shock of this magnitude if it escalates. We're used to Donald Trump being able to do a phase one deal with China, the Fed cutting rates and solving the issue with credit markets and uh, resolving financial conditions. Supply shocks are very hard for central bankers or even policymakers to solve. So that's why you're seeing the moves in markets here, and it's going to take time, and time will be painful. When it comes to European markets, they won't have as much flexibility when it comes to rate cuts, like the ECB. Uh, The ECB Mm -hmm. has about 10 basis points of rate cuts they could do. They could maybe do quantitative easing again, but they're already doing it. So for me, I think the currency rising today is just absolute bonkers. And I think that this is something that needs to correct. Weaker euro and eventually stronger dollar. But what's going on, guys, is when you've got big moves like this in equities, you've got investors repatriating their money, and you have seen those QE outflows drive the euro higher here as that money's coming back home.
0: John, I want to point out we are 9.02% correction. Like, we're almost to the cusp of an S&P 500 correction.
1: We're close to 10% over in Germany on the equity benchmark in Frankfurt. Jordan, let's talk about the euro. Repatriating cash. Are we starting to see some yen-type qualities to the single currency?
2: There is, John. Um, I was mentioning it before. So we saw quantitative easing in 2015. And we had extensions, we had slowdowns, and we're back in the same game again. And when you've got bonds at negative yields, they, you saw massive outflows into U.S. assets, into emerging market assets. So what's going on is European investors have got all these assets abroad and now having fund redemptions, and so because the risk-off tends to see sellers. So you're seeing those fund redemptions mean that they have to bring that money home and convert it back into euros. Now, this is a flow which is very hard to predict. It's very hard to trade, and timing it to be very difficult. I think once the dust settles, and I think if we see a bit of stability, we'll then go back to Euro being much more exposed to what's going on in China and also the situation escalating in Milan as well. So I think short term, this is what's driving Euro higher, but I'm not chasing it. And I do think that the currency will come under pressure because guys, I think by the end of this year, we're all gonna be experts in credit risks again. We've been so used to uh, rates rallying, ECB uh, easing rates for everybody um, that we've kind of neglected the credit risks that have been building out there. And if we have a hit to growth like this and if the lockdowns and the virus spread goes into Q2, maybe even we're still here in June talking about it then credit risks will be on everyone's uh, minds.
3: When we talk about credit risks, Jordan, it seems to be a race to the bottom. I was struck by the idea that the dollar is actually weakening versus certain Asian currencies because people are now trading their focus on the potential for the coronavirus to spread in the United States and for that not being fully priced in. I mean, yes, the euro is expected to weaken more, but how vulnerable is the U.S. here given the fact that a lot of people viewed it as immune from some of the worst impacts here?
2: Yeah, the U.S. equity market had been the safe haven of equity markets in the world, thanks to all those share buybacks you guys have been enjoying. Um, and also, you always had the Fed rate cutting rates as your backup. And the market's now pricing that in, and you're going to probably see further pricing of that to come. However, let's think more about the end game. Most of the world's capital is still between the New York to Boston Corridor. When I look at all of my uh, countries I track, the biggest holders outside of the residents of those countries of equities, for example, UK equities, European equities, it's the US. So if everyone's going to repatriate, the biggest flows is going to be back into dollars. Now it's not going to be like the global financial crisis because back then there was very little foreign exchange hedging. We've had much higher FX hedging ratios. So the impact on the currency may be a lot less uh, than we, what we saw in the panics of
3: 2007
2: and 8. Well, Jordan, net.
0: give us some points here Get, on dollar yen. What is your adjusted target now for dollar yen?
2: Well, look, we had had this big outflow from Japan yeah. uh, just the other week. We had that right. push up to 112 in dollar yeah. yen, and that was driven by pension flows. Our guys still think that will matter. And so we're not chasing the yen strength here. But if we start to see signs of the Tokyo Olympics being canceled, we're Mm. looking out for that risk. Maybe something to talk about more in May. I think yen still trades like a safe haven, Tom. And so at some point, there might be some yen strength. Well, are you you talking? We're not chasing it.
0: Is there a big figure play here on euro then? I mean, within all these huge flows, these titanic moments we're talking about, is there like five big figures in euro one way or the other?
2: Absolutely. I think essentially once we get over Friday, so tomorrow's month end, and we're going to see some dollar buying, I think when we see those flows because of what's been going on, I think Monday we come back to work, Euro's lower, and we're we're tracking more towards 106, 107 again uh, over the next month.
1: We'll hold you to that, Jordan. Great to catch up with you. Jordan Rochester, hopefully we'll catch up with him in the next couple of weeks. Namura's G10 FX strategist.
0: We are committed, folks, to giving you the best conversations we can from medical professionals. John, if you go down Fifth Avenue, you know this well. You see so many benefactors of Wall Street, Mr. Kravis, Mr. Icon, and others that have put money where hope and mouth is and built a first-class, world-class medical set of institutions. Adam Bernheim is with Mount Sinai, and they own the high ground on medical engineering, biomedical engineering, and in his case, it is the study of lungs. He is one of the best in the world at these viruses and what they do to our lungs. He
1: is a cardiothoracic radiologist. I'm really happy to say he's on this program. We've made such a big effort over the last couple of weeks, the last few months, to really focus on leaving the medical issues to the medical professionals professionals doctor it's fantastic to have you with us on the program something i don't think has done or a lot of people haven't done a good enough job of is talk about the differences between coronavirus and other viruses other flus take me inside the body inside the chest inside the lungs the pictures that you've seen why is this so different
4: thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure to be here When we first started looking at scans in patients with coronavirus infection from China, we didn't know what to expect because this is a new diagnosis that we were describing for the first time. But as we categorically went through hundreds of cases, we were able to recognize clear patterns that were emerging. Importantly, the way the lung was affected included lesions that had a predilection for a certain area in the lung. They often had a certain shape and certain other imaging characteristics that were suggestive. Notably, there were other factors and features on the scans that were apt that are found in other infections for example patients with other pneumonias often have fluid outside the lungs lymph node enlargement nodules cavitation which means air cavities within the lesion or calcification these were actually notably absent in all of the patients that we went through so that's really helpful for distinguishing this infection from other infections including other viral infections like influenza no one single case is 100% accurate but if there are enough features on any on a scan, an index of suspicion is elevated there are enough features that we can be that are certainly very strongly suggestive. And I think that's one of the reasons that radiologists and CAT scans have emerged as foundational in the algorithm of diagnosis of these patients.
3: Dr. Bernheim, that's an excellent synopsis of the diagnostic developments here, how uh, nations are looking to identify coronavirus cases. But how does that translate over to the potential remedies and how easy or difficult it is to actually cure uh, these cases?
4: Well, I think one of the keys is just limiting its spread. So I, I think as a radiologist and one of the key ways that we can be helpful is to ensure prompt diagnosis. So, for example, one of our findings was that patients very early on after symptom onset, if they had a CT scan, it was negative actually about half of the time. And that's important to know that there could be false negatives, particularly very early in the disease, so that patients shouldn't be taken off isolation in terms of combating the epidemic on a larger global scale and treatment I think the best way is really preventing its spread so if we have patients that may be suspected of having infection it's really helpful to know that we can make a diagnosis as early as possible which is certainly helpful for that individual patient so we can start treatment as early as possible but it's also necessary for a greater public health perspective to ensure that, that patient does remain isolated and will not transmit the disease to others.
1: Doctor you would have heard people make the comparison to the seasonal flu many many times over the last couple of months and a question I've had for quite a while and I'd love to put to you is why this particular coronavirus requires such a huge containment effort to the degree that China and others are taking it. Why is that the case?
4: The flu has some similarities to coronavirus, but also some differences. Influenza, the flu in itself, is a very deadly disease that has killed about 16,000 people already in this year's season and hospitalized almost 300,000. So influenza in its own right is certainly a very serious infection. However, COVID-19, our coronavirus infection, now is concerning in other ways. For example, the mortality of an infected patient uh, is actually quite a bit higher than influenza. So for example, the chance of any given patient passing away from influenza infection is about 0.1%, but the mortality rate here is 20 times that, about 2%. That's one feature that's different. And another, and I, I think one of the concerns, is that there's a large percentage of the patients that actually have very mild symptoms, about 80% of COVID-19 cases are actually patients that have very mild, non-specific symptoms, perhaps some fever and a cough, shortness of breath, and little more than that. And there are many that are actually asymptomatic for a very long time before they manifest symptoms. So one of the concerns right. and one of the distinguishing features from influenza is that you have patients that have sometimes no or mild non-specific symptoms and are easily transmitting the disease to others.
0: Dr. Bernheim, do you have a good knowledge or understanding of the age distribution effect of this virus? The bar charts are simplistic. Everybody over 80's in trouble. Enlighten us on how you go down to the younger patients on that.
4: That's a really interesting question that we're looking at, and you're right. Early investigators have noted a higher mortality in older yeah. patients and those with preexisting lung disease like emphysema or fibrosis, and also males seem to be affected uh, a little bit more as well. One of the things that we found that was really striking is that pediatric patients were characteristically very unaffected. In other words, even yeah. patients that, even kids that were positive for the coronavirus very often had normal CT scans, which is something that, uh, is yeah. not something we necessarily expected.
0: Oh, we have 10 more questions in no time. Dr. Bernheim, thank you so much for joining us today with Mount Sinai Hospital. We look forward to speaking to you again soon. Adam Bernheim of Mount uh, Sinai, They're just extraordinary. Let's bring in Patrick now,
1: Patrick Armstrong, Plurimi Wealth CIO. Patrick, interested to find out what you've been doing in the market over the last couple of weeks. What kind of moves have you been making?
5: We've not been doing a huge amount, despite uh, a huge amount of volatility, really, because we were defensively positioned. So we were quite frustrated when everything was moving higher together earlier in the year and uh, quite comfortable with our positioning right now. At the margins, we've been moving away from some cyclicality in equities. We sold Airbus. Um, Yesterday, we bought some Alphabet Google um, basically we think clouds not going to be impacted by the virus uh, people stay at home watch YouTube uh, search will continue to do well so uh, we're looking for companies that have a lot of cash not immune to the virus by any means but uh, not going to be severely impacted and to be clear
1: here, there Patrick you are starting to put capital to work then in more offensive areas of the market would that be a correct a correct observation of what you're doing
5: I, sorry you're it just cut out for a second that's no, okay I patrick it's i'm just fresh,
1: wondering fresh. if you are starting to put fresh capital into more offensive parts of the market given the the sell-off that we've seen over the last couple of weeks
5: not really so uh, adding alphabet something we did um, it's uh, a great company obviously but still not cheap um, we i think the next move i'm going to make is actually selling out of some of my treasury positions and moving into the shorter end of the yield curve so that That's not really an offensive move, but I do think um, 100 pricing in secular stagnation and that you're going to have a sharp hit to the economy from this. But 12 months from now, I'm very confident. So
3: what what level of yields is sort of the trigger point for you to sell? Um, I've been
5: thinking about it for the last few days, and uh, we'll probably pull the trigger today even. Um, the, The levels now, it's very hard to see how... When you get a dividend yield on the S&P 500 of 1.9% versus a 10-year yield at one25 and a 30-year yield yeah. at one7 it's. I'd rather have equities for the long term. Uh, short term, there's a lot of yeah. momentum behind bonds and a lot of negative momentum on equities. Uh, I'm not ready to really make a big position on equities yet mm-hmm. because I still think they're expensive. But uh, I do think the bond uh, rally has probably gone too far. Your
0: thoughts, one final question, your thoughts on financials right now. We have not talked about the banks, but they've got to deal with this unique yield market, don't they?
5: Definitely. And uh, we've owned the banks in Europe in the past, and that's been a mistake we made. Uh, when I was bullish on the banks, I expected the ECB to get rates towards zero. And I really think that's the catalyst I'll need to get back into right. them, the negative interest rate margin is such a headwind. Unless there is a, a wave of consolidation in Europe, that would also be good news for the banks. But you have to allow right. employees to be fired for that to work.
0: Too short a visit. Patrick Armstrong, thank you so much. Plurimi Capital in London joining us. If you are in the tech stocks, I will just say flat out this is your interview of the day. She's Shannon Cross of Cross Research. She's not like some ginormous uh, uh, name out there where she's like doing the media trolley. We're thrilled to get her on today because she uh, it sticks to her clients and the attention of her clients out of Berkeley Political Economics and she does prodigious tech research. Have you changed, Shannon, your buy, hold, sell on the big thing tech names?
6: You know, I haven't um, – here's the interesting thing, whether it's Microsoft or Apple or even Best Buy, just and I don't cover Best Buy, but um, I was just listening to their earnings call. You know, everyone at this point continues to say that underlying demand remains strong. So, yes, the supply chain is interrupted, but all of these companies continue to believe that this will be, you know, a relatively, relatively short-term issue. Um, Right now, the biggest challenge is getting employees back to the factories in China. And, you know, it sounds like some of the factories are starting to come back online. Clearly, you know, it seems to be spreading, so we'll have to see what that does over time. But, uh, you know, demand is is still there.
0: What do the companies you follow do with their once-in-a-century levels of cash? I mean, if there were opportunities seven weeks ago... Some of these stocks are down bear market 18%, 20 25%. Is this where we finally see them deploy cash?
6: Well, you know, it, it will be interesting. I mean, from an M&A perspective, we'll see where things, things play out. I mean, we've been watching HP and Xerox, and obviously that transaction is one where Xerox is looking on putting a ton of leverage onto the combined company, which frankly doesn't seem particularly smart at this point in time. But the ones that have a lot of cash, I mean, I would assume Apple is going to be out very aggressively buying back stock. You know, HP, well, they just announced a, a $15 billion share repurchase program. So, as soon as they sort of get through some of the, the Xerox tender offer pro- prohibitions about buying, they will be, you know, and others as well, I mean, Microsoft too. So, I think, you know, companies are going to be smart about this. I don't think they're going to overreact. I think the ones I've talked to, the <clears throat> management, and I've yeah. talked to most of them, are being very prudent about looking at it. They're protecting their employees, they're yeah. protecting their partners. And they're assuming that this is going to be short term. And again, they keep pointing to the fact that demand remains very
0: solid. Market negative 477. Paul, Apple on a weekly chart, negative 13%.
7: Yeah, exactly. Shannon, you know, we're we're so happy to have you on here because we're, you know, that Microsoft news just kind of added on to the Apple news, again, pulling back uh, revenue guidance or adjusting revenue guidance. Um, At this point, is it primarily a supply chain issue for the tech companies uh, throughout the tech stack? Or is there also, you know, some demand issues? I know you mentioned that the companies are still talking about good underlying demand, but are they seeing canceled orders and any of that type of thing, or is this just supply chain?
6: Not yet. I mean, and, you know, no canceled orders that I've heard of yet. I mean, it's, it's supply chain. Obviously, sales in China are going to be weak this quarter, um, but you know, I think you can—not that it's going to make up for it—but Apple, for instance, will sell more services, and iPad sales appear to be pretty strong because people are going to remote, um, you know, remote learning and remote working. Uh, you know, I think that. What I've heard is it's literally getting the people to the factories because obviously transportation in Japan, sorry in China has been um, impacted, and then you know people have to be quarantined when they get there to make sure they don't have the virus, and getting those factories up and running. Um, it, interestingly, what I've been told, and I, I some, somehow question it, but I, it's what I've been told by several people, is that shipping has not been a particular issue. So, so- and even access to a lot of components hasn't been necessarily the issue. It's been the people issue.
7: So, Shannon, are the the companies that you chat to, are they saying, hey, once this passes in China in particular, and maybe there's some uh, evidence that maybe it's peaking there, that we can ramp up quickly and this might be a one-quarter type issue for them, or this might drag on throughout the year?
6: You know, they're they're, at this point, a lot of them were saying, look, it'll be, you know, if we can get back to 100% utilization of the factory by the end of March, then, you know, things should be good for second quarter. I might be a little optimistic. I mean, you know, we'll see how, how long it takes to ramp. I mean, I've heard from companies that they have some factories that are basically making nothing and some factories that are running at 100%. Um, so that's not really yeah. helpful, right? But, you know, it's it's kind of along the spectrum. Um, I, would, I would say as long as this doesn't expand and start hitting economies, you know, and then you know, consumer confidence and all of that, right. that you can you can kind of get back to normal. I, I think, you know, companies like Apple can probably go a bit above 100% in terms of bursts in their factories uh, to try to make up for right. the shortfalls that they're going to have.
0: Shannon Cross with us with Cross Research. We do this with another data check. Negative 500 on the Dow. Uh, right now, 26,462. 66 points on the Standard & Poor's 500. 3-0. And the VIX, Paul and I have been watching carefully, from a 28 level up to 32.74. I don't have the chart in front of you. That may be a high, more sphere-laden VIX of the day, up 5.18 big figures. Two-year yield, bottoms out, low yield for the day, 1.0615. To be clear, that's a bid to note prices, price up, yield down, uh, 10-year, 126 uh, yield. And Paul, I'm sorry, oil. Oil is my uh, yep. mint of the day, if you will. Oil, 46.29, down $2.44. And there's just simply no bid there's no West bid. West Texas Intermediate. Absolutely,
7: Tom. Hey, Shannon, I-, I know you spend a lot of time talking to institutional investors. Um, what do you sense they're doing? Are they taking this as an opportunity to add to some of their best high conviction uh, tech names? Or are they just saying this is beyond kind of, this is not in our model?
6: Well, I, I think initially they were saying this is not in our model we're going to look through that you know obviously that was about 10 percent ago so we can we can get past those comments uh, i i think at this point they are starting to look at you know I, I talked to a number of people on microsoft yesterday for instance and they're saying look this is you know a part of their business um it will impact this quarter and maybe a little bit next quarter but the core underlying um uh, you know fundamentals of microsoft are very strong and so i think some of those names they're they're kind of trying to start adding to i assume people will start picking up apple at some point but you know there's that old adage about you know not not catching a falling knife um so i think some people are sort of just on the sideline to
0: this point i'm glad you mentioned that let's go stochastic we can do that with shannon cross the great chart idea of catching a, a falling knife in the dark leads to guessing single data points on a chart. Okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to look at the opposite, which is not stochastic, but trend. Shannon, if you if you were, you know, not, you know, there's only just me and Paul listening, but Shannon, if, if you were to establish a trend for the names you follow, am I clear that that trend is still up?
6: From a, yes, I think from a, a long-term perspective, look, people, there are underlying uh, I don't know, changes in business that are going on. People are moving to the cloud. People are, you know, moving to edge computing. We will eventually have 5G. There's going to be a lot of data that's going to be crunched. I mean, you know, technology is not something that's, you know, going the way of the buggy whip. I mean, it's definitely where people are going to be investing. And again, the economies were strong going into this. So assuming this is, you know, something that sort of plays itself out through, I don't know, early summer. I have no, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but, you know, it's, I think the underlying demand and, and fundamentals are, are pretty solid for the names we cover.
7: So, Shannon, going back to Tom's initial question here, would you expect to see press releases from companies saying we are increasing our buyback or are doing a one-time buyback or just taking a more aggressive stance or is this just going to be part of their existing buyback uh, kind of strategy?
6: I don't think at this point – um, anybody's going to put something out because there's just too many unknowns. I mean, I, I was talking to one executive, and he basically said, if anybody tells you they know exactly what's going on, they're not really, you know, they don't really know. Um, so I, I don't think this is the time when people step in with sort of incremental buybacks related to corona, and I'm not sure they <clears throat> ever will. But, you know, I think for companies that have a fair amount of cash to deploy, mm. they always use the term opportunistic. So as this thing starts to sort of settle out, I think that opportunity will probably come in, and you you will see some aggressive buying, depending on where we are in the quarter. Because remember, a lot of these companies do have to go into quiet periods.
0: You have been opportunistic. Shannon Cross, thank you so much for joining us today. Cross Research, again, we protect the copyright of all of our guests' research. You can get Cross Research research from them. Shannon Cross, of her own for me. She does a brilliant. She
7: does time. excellent work.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.